Hi everyone, my name is Ryan Alexander and I serve as the lead pastor at Hosanna. As we've been saying for years, we believe the Lord led you here. And we hope that what you hear today will encourage you to take a step forward in your faith journey and help you look more like Jesus. After today's message, I encourage you to download the Hosanna app for more opportunities to connect and grow. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be with you this morning. I love this house and so grateful to Jen and Ryan and all the pastors and for all of you uh, to allow me to be here as we continue our series, Jesus According to Jesus, to all of our sites and everyone watching. Uh, I'm excited for today and I hope that you will be as well. So we're on this journey and Ryan started us off really well last week with uh, I am the bread of life, the first statement. And I love how he called us to check the label, to be aware of false narratives. Because if we don't open our eyes to the reality of who Jesus is, and more importantly, what he says about himself, we will fall prey to the many, many assumptions of who people think that Jesus is. And really, there will never be a shortage of opinions about Jesus. In fact, you will remember a very famous portion of scripture where Jesus has pulled his disciples aside and he asks this question. You know it. Who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. Some say one of the prophets. And then he asks this question. But who do you say I am? What's your answer going to be? And I believe that that question is as important for us today as we continue to see the world churning and changing, as we see this convergence of darkness and light, as we see the birth pangs increasing. Brothers and sisters, we have got to know who Jesus is. If I were to ask you, each one of you individually, if I sat down next to you and said, who is Jesus to you? Some of you might say he's my healer. Some of you might see he's my provider. Some of you might say he's a marriage mender. Some of you might say he's the one that actually showed me who I am. Whatever you say he is, may it be found in the word and may it be centered in your hearts. Because more than ever before, the world is going to ask as Satan continues to try to heat up this time, as he tries to take more individuals before we know that Jesus returns, we have got to be the voice that says, you are the Christ. You're the Holy One. And Jesus said to Peter, blessed are you, Peter, for this has not been revealed to you by humankind. It's been revealed to you by God, my Father. In other words, God is speaking. He's revealing. He's declaring still who he is. And now he wants to use us to declare the same. He is the Christ in my life. He's the Holy One. He's the one that found me when I was a huddled mass on the floor. He found me when I was a church girl, really good at lying, doing all the churchy stuff, but having no intimacy with him. He was the one that stepped out of eternity and found me. When I was a mess, I could tell you all the religious things, I could say all the right things, but I had no relationship with Jesus whatsoever. No one ever taught me how. So knowing who he is and then being able to help other people to walk in grace toward that Jesus is so important. And I want to unfold that for us today as we step into our second I am statement, I am the light of the world. We're going to be in John chapter 8 this morning, 
But before we get to John chapter 8, so put your finger in there, I'm going to read to you from John chapter 1. It's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to hear this word coming from John chapter 1, setting the tone for John chapter 8. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. What does that tell us? That from the very beginning of existence, Jesus was there at the very beginning of time. It said, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. That should sound to you like Colossians chapter 1. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it says that there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and John came to testify of that light. But here's the key. He himself was not the light, only a witness to the true light. If you're in your word, you need to underline that word true, the true light. No artificiality, no partiality. He was the true light that came into the world. That's important that we know Jesus is the true light because there will always be counterfeits. There will always be artificial lights, lesser lights, that will try to eclipse the glory of who Jesus is in our lives. It says the true light, verse 8, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, was bursting onto the scene. So it establishes for us as we read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, in the beginning he was God. It establishes Jesus' presence from the beginning of time. And it points to the first creative act of God as bringing forth light, declaring to the entire world and creation, never again shall darkness be first. Never again will darkness be able to eclipse the glory because the light has shined in the darkness. He says the true light which punctuates the importance of knowing the artificial from the real and the authentic has come into the world. From Genesis, we can step into Exodus, and you would remember Exodus 13, where we start to celebrate the proclamation of when God had brought his people out of Egypt. It's the first Sukkot, as we would say in Hebrew. It's the first celebration of God's people celebrating his protection of them. We can read in this portion of scripture in verse 21 of Exodus 13, the Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud to guide their way by day and in a pillar of fire to give them light by night so they could travel by day and by night neither the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night left its place before the people dear friends God will never leave his place before his people even when we leave our place before God God will never leave you, although I know in my journey I've left him. I've been mad at God. I've turned my back on God. And when I turn back, he's still there, the same radiant God, the same one that found me and forgave me, the still the same one saying, are you done? <laughs> you had enough of your temper tantrum? Let's get back on the journey. We've all been there, haven't we? Frustrated with the things of God, but he stays there in the presence of his people. We've heard Isaiah proclaim him. Isaiah chapter 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Why? You know it. Isaiah chapter 6. For unto us 
A child is born unto us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And on that place, nothing will ever be changed. Psalm 27, 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I could continue, but you all are getting the point. When Jesus comes and makes the proclamation that we will look at today, he's not making a new proclamation. He's going back to time and saying, yeah, in the beginning, that was me. That pillar of fire, that was me. The one who was the dawning of light in Isaiah, that was me. In Hosea, that was me. I have been there since the beginning, and I will be there at the end. Revelation tells us at the end of time, there will be no sun or moon, for God himself will be our light. He will always be with us in that presence. And so as we think about this, I want you to think about the fact that Jesus making this proclamation should not be new to anyone who was sitting there because all of those, the Pharisees and others who we find as he's teaching in the temple, would have seen and known those things. They would have heard them, but they just couldn't imagine that the one that was sitting in front of them could actually have been the manifestation of that light So now let's look at John chapter 8, verses 1 through, or 2 through 20. And it's a meaty portion of scripture, but I'm going to read the the meaty portion of scripture for a reason. I'm going to say it every time I'm together with you. Context is important when you're preaching the gospel. And I think it's important to set the tone. One verse doesn't give you the image. We might as well read it if we've got the opportunity to do it. Amen? So let's read uh, this portion coming from John chapter 8, verses 2 through 20. Now look at where the imagery starts. At dawn, dawn is the first crack of light. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, the woman was caught in an act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Then they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who was out of sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until, the only, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, now go and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. 
For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. They asked him, where is your father? You don't know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts. Hear this, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Can you see the foreshadowing here? You see that it was at dawn that Jesus began to teach. This has come now where we find this portion of scripture. We find that this has just happened after the Feast of the Tabernacles. It is the same time just about that we read in Exodus chapter 13. It's a beautiful celebration. It's one of the few celebrations that was a celebration where the people had to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate at the temple, which would be the highest place in the whole entire city. If you can imagine the temple and see the temple, there were outer courts and the courts became closer and closer inside until you had the most holy of holy place. I want to paint for you a picture because during this Feast of the Tabernacles, there was in a place called the Court of Women, four large menorahs, 75 feet high that would be lit they could only be accessed by uh, scaling up it, uh, by having somewhere to climb up, and then the very fragments and pieces of the clothing of those Levitical priests were used to be dipped in oil and lit. Interesting, these four places, these four giant lights were lit in the temple of women, in the court of women. The court of women was as far as women could go into this holy place. But here we find that the light of the temple was lit in the court of women, those who were generally outcasts, and the first light of the celebration was lit in the place where the women were. The word of God goes on to tell us that during those times as they lit it, the light was so glorious that all of the holy men would dance in the light as the light not only cascaded and lit up the entire space, but it flowed out and down and over Jerusalem and penetrated all of the people below. Can you imagine what it have been like then as they have just finished this celebration of light, this celebration of honoring uh, the, the protection of God over his people, when we find Jesus then again at dawn teaching all the people when all of a sudden the Pharisees, are we even surprised? The Pharisees come dragging in a woman. And they say to Jesus, interrupting his teaching, uh, Rabbi, we caught this woman in adultery. It says that they made her stand before the group. Have any of you ever felt so full of shame that you felt as though you were standing in a light and everyone could see your shame? You ever remember being so caught in darkness that you just felt as though you wanted to curl up and disappear? 
Well, here she was. Jesus is teaching the people and all of a sudden the Pharisees, the keepers of the law, drag this woman in and the scriptures say they made her stand before them to shame her. But how many of you know that this story really wasn't about her? This was about them. Because if they were really keepers of the law, they would have followed the law. If you are going to accuse somebody of being caught in adultery, you need to bring both people. Where was he? Where was the man that was with her in adultery? Could have been one of the Pharisees or one of the keepers of the law. But the reality is they used her as a pawn, not only because they knew women had no power, because they knew they could shame her and flick her away as if she was nothing. They were challenging Jesus' rabbinical authority and power, and they wanted to embarrass him and get him to say something other than the law. What did Jesus do as she stood there, covered? He bent down and wrote in the sand. He didn't even dignify their accusation. He refused to dignify. And we see here that then the Pharisees are pushing and pushing and pushing. Answer us, Jesus. What does the law say, Jesus? And then we see Jesus stand up and I can imagine at him looking in the face of each one of those Pharisees. Just looking at each one of them. And he says, okay, boys, have at it. Let you who without sin, you cast the first stone. Go ahead, we'll wait. Thud, thud, thud. Starting with the elders, the oldest ones, the ones who knew better, the ones that should have been teaching the younger ones, they dropped their stones and walked away. They really knew that there was nothing that about this situation that was about her. And after they walked away, what did Jesus do? Again, he bent down and he doodled in the sand. We don't know what he was writing. Maybe he was just counting to 10 to say, Lord, if you don't get your friends, these Pharisees, I'm gonna have to flex on them and do something and I'm gonna have to mess up my situation. Get your boys. And so as they leave, where none is left except for Jesus and her, although we know that there were onlookers because they were there in the temple, completely quiet. He said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, how many of you see that there's a difference here between condemnation and calling ourselves to holiness? He didn't condemn her, but he did tell her to change. He did not condemn her, nor does he condemn us. What does Romans 8 say? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. That I am no longer accused in the court of public opinion. That when Satan tries to drag me out into the light and say, you, you're not enough. Who are you to be preaching? You're not enough. You're a former drug addict. You cheated on your spouse. Here it is, this lesser light, this artificial reality that we call Satan. 
who knows that his time is short, who wants to be the one to mock us, to drag us into the light, to open our own minds and to say, you know you're thinking what I'm thinking. You know you're just not good enough. You know that a holy God really cannot look upon a sinful person. I mean, come on, did God really say? And here we know and we see that Satan is mocking this entire situation. But we recognize that Jesus stands in the presence of this woman and he declares that she has been made free. Can I speak that over somebody in this room today? Somebody who continues to be your own worst critic because you constantly hear the negative things of not being enough. Anyone ever been your own worst critic? Where's the worst critics in the room? Give me a little wave. Stop it. That's what the word of God says. End of lesson. Stop it. Stop it right now. That's what Jesus says in the Laurel Bunker translation. Knock it off. Because guess what? When the light has shined upon you, the court of public opinion no longer has anything to say. The Pharisees don't have anything to say. Your family doesn't have anything to say. You don't have anything to prove to anybody except that you are sick. Holy Ghost filled and on your way. That is what you need to focus on as we see the darkness trying to remind us that we are nothing. Jesus didn't come to save nothing. Jesus didn't give his life on the cross to save nobody. He came to save and to seek those who were lost, how many were lost and found. Me, right here, lost, lost, in a fetal position on the floor. Church girl knew all the things to say didn't know how to live it until Jesus himself stepped out of eternity to save a nobody, to make her somebody that somebody could tell everybody that the light still shines in the darkness. Amen. He's still shining and the darkness cannot, will not overcome it. Will not unless you partner with it. We go on to see then as soon as she says, there's no one to condemn you. She said, Neither do I, he said, neither do I condemn you. No, go leave your life of sin. Can you imagine what she must have felt like? Can you imagine in that moment, she can probably feel the eyes of the people on her. She could probably uh, feel the sense and maybe she backed out. Maybe she just wrapped whatever pieces of clothing she had around her and slowly backed out. But what if, like the holy men who danced in the light in the court of women, what if she danced? What if she danced in the light? What if she said, finally, I have a name and I have an identity. It's not adulteress. It's not failure. It's not her that got dragged before the court of opinion. It's daughter of the most high God. It's the one who God knows. I get to be the temple because the light has shone in me and now he lives in me. I get to be the temple. Guys, today, it's not just the figurative temple. We get to be the temple. Why? Because we see that the one who was teaching, where did it say that Jesus was teaching? He was teaching next to the place where the offerings would be put. Not only was he the light in that moment, he was the lamb. 
He was the light that shone in her darkness, that did not condemn her, but called her to change. And he was the foreshadowing of the lamb. He sat in the temple and taught next to the place where the sacrifices would be placed. And here he was, the perfect sacrifice, who lit up her life, changed her name, transformed her existence, and as a result, transformed ours as well. Brothers and sisters, we are the woman caught in adultery. Change her gender, change adultery. Put in addiction, put in whatever you want to put in. The reality is, is that we were all of these places, these empty temples, hoping that something, drugs or alcohol or pornography or relationships would fill us up. But how many of you know eventually they had to put out those artificial lights. Jesus Christ is the one that will never be snuffed out. His glory will never stop shining. He will continue to shine his light, not to embarrass us, but to heal us. You ever been in the dead of sleep? I mean, you're in the best sleep of your life. I mean, picture it. Don't do it, but picture it. I don't want to hear any snoring. Some of you love to have every curtain drawn. Where are the people like, I got a mask. I got to have the room darkening shades. Where are you? I got to have it pitch black to sleep, people. Okay. You imagine that? Have you ever had somebody come in and flip the light on or pull the shades or open the blinds? The first thing you're seeing is like, oh, gee, good morning. Because we see this piercing light. It's almost like we're shocked out of things. Can I tell you, that's not the kind of light that Jesus is. It's like the most beautiful sunrise that you've ever seen, where the darkness starts to be pierced by a beam of light that grows and grows and grows until the manifestation and the glory of it is so luminous that all you want to do is to stand in it. You want to bathe in it. You want to stand not in the artificial light of Satan who wants to flick on the light and point out all of the things that are wrong with you, but instead you want to stand in the glory of him who has told you, I don't condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Maybe the first time you heard that, you just wanted to hold yourself. Maybe you felt like, Peter, go away from me. I'm a sinful man or a sinful woman. But maybe, like me, you danced. Maybe you felt like the light, the one who is the true light, who gives light to the world, finally lit up your existence, changed your name and your trajectory forever. That's what he wants you to know today when he says, I am the light of the world. It will never be extinguished. Now hear me, Satan will try to eclipse the light that is Jesus in your life. And or a solar eclipse, you know that for a while it tries to change its light. But how many of you know that that sun is always going to come bursting forth? It can never be eclipsed by something smaller. Don't you ever let the lies of the devil eclipse the light that is Jesus Christ in your life. And every time Satan does, move and keep your eyes stayed on that light. Move and keep your eyes on the light. Move out of his lies. Move from his condemnation as long as you can see the light. As long as you can see it, you have hope. 
You are no longer the woman caught in adultery, the man who failed his family. You are now the temple of God, and the light of Jesus Christ shines on the inside of you. We see at the end of this story, the Pharisees are not even moved. Dear brothers and sisters, there are going to be people in your life that are not even moved by the transformation that has happened in you. Pay them no mind. Simply stoop down and write in the sand. Don't pay them any mind. We see that the Pharisees at the end are kind of mocking Jesus as Jesus calls them back to their law and says, you guys aren't even keepers of the law. You don't even keep the law that you say you love. And they mock him and say, okay, where's your father? And Jesus says, listen, I know who I am. I know who I came from. I know where I am going. I want the same thing to be said of you. I know who I am. I know who I am. And I know where I'm going. I know that when this life is over, there's a place for me where there will not need to be a lesser day, lesser night or day. There will be no moon, no sun or stars for God himself will be our light. And I will live forever in the presence of the one who has shown me that I don't need to fear Dear brothers and sisters, dance in the light. Know that the one who loves you has spoken these words over you coming from Matthew 5, 14 through 16. That now that he who was the light and the lamb has changed your light, the light that was once our darkness now shines in us. And he now takes the name that he had when he said in John 8, I am the light of the world and he puts it on us. And he declares this as I declare it to you. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp. Do you see the imagery? Go all the way back. He said, do we do not light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light, the light of Christ, the light of redemption, the true light that came into the world, let it shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give glory to God who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. Once the woman caught in adultery, the man caught in failure, but you have experienced pardon, freedom, and you have been given complete freedom to dance because now the greater light does not simply live somewhere else, but through the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he says, go tell, like the woman who was caught, go tell somebody the light still shines in the darkness. Go tell somebody the court of public opinion doesn't matter anymore. Go tell somebody who the sun sets free is free indeed. Go tell somebody the light still shines in the darkness and he has shined on me. And when the Pharisees come and say, you're a failure, pay them no mind. Just stoop down and write in the sand. So dear God, we thank you for this time and we thank you that you are the light of the world, the one who has changed and transformed us. Do now what only you can do. Change us, Lord God, open our eyes and help us to walk in the fullness of who you've called us to be. You are the light of the world and you've called us to be the light now of the world, your purveyors of peace. Transform us and use us, God, for we will never be the same as the darkness has been cast out. In Jesus' name we pray and all who would agree with the light would say,
Amen.